Hello everyone, Neil Patel here. Thank you for downloading the latest episode of the Indian Startup Show. Today I speak to Alan Chowdhury, the founder of Oswald Labs. It's a Netherlands and Indian-based accessibility technology company. Uh, they build products for people with disabilities and he also runs an in-house tech accelerator. So in this podcast, we talk about how we got started, dropping out of design college, moving from India to the Netherlands, how he manages his life as a student, entrepreneur and consultant to startups around the world. He gives great advice on solving real world problems, talks about being on the Forbes 30 under 30 list and also being named as one of the 50 most innovative entrepreneurs and professionals in the Netherlands. Also talks about winning hackathons, um, having supportive parents and finally some chat about politics and education in India. Uh, It's a great episode so please enjoy the show, thank you. Hello Anand, Uh, thank you for coming on the Indian Startup Show today. Hi, Neil. Excited to be here. Excellent. Uh, please tell listeners what you're building. Um, so I run Oswald Labs, which yes. is an accessibility technology company, mm-hmm. which means that we build products for people with disabilities. So we do all sorts of stuff, consumer, enterprise, and we also have an in-house accelerator to help other startups building, uh, you know, solving real problems. Excellent. And where did you come up with the idea to do an accessibility technology company? So it's actually super interesting. I had the idea of building... Uh, a browser plugin for people with dyslexia because I realized that a lot of websites are not intrinsically accessible to them. Uh, and I actually, I had it in the shower. And, oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and and I was planning on participating in a weekend hackathon, yeah. which is, you know, you keep just coding for 24 hours and then you have kind of a product at the end of it. Uh, and yeah, so I asked my friend Nishant, uh, who I knew from high school, and I said, hey, I had, th- I had this idea, I want to build this product. Mm-hmm. And uh, incidentally, just that weekend, we have a hackathon, do you want to go? Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, let's do it. So we were there, and um, that was Angel Hack in Delhi, mm-hmm. and we won the code for Impact Challenge, which is where we built the first Oswald for Chrome extension, which helps people with dyslexia really customize the web so they can you know go into the settings and say, okay, these are the color contrast ratios I like, this is the font size, this is the line height. They can really customize everything. Mm-hmm. And then when they save that, whatever the website they go to, Facebook, Twitter, Medium, Quora, it would all automatically be redesigned to their format. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we built that during that hackathon. And um, that was it. That was just one hackathon. We built it. We put it up on the store for free. Uh, and that was the end of it. But um, in just the next few weeks, we it kind of uh, became kind of famous. We were in Hindustan Times, we were in the Huffington Post, and people got really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was also when I actually moved to Ahmedabad in India to study design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, during design school, all of this is happening. So I realized that, you know, there's a lot of potential for this. And um, why stop at just this one really tiny part of the problem we want to solve? Let's take this further. Uh, so I decided to drop out of college. I moved back to New Delhi, and I started doing this full time. And uh, yeah, that's how we started. Excellent. So why did you win that uh, hackathon then? What was the feedback? You must have. So, there must have been a lot, lot of other companies there as well, right? Yeah, I mean, people do a lot of great stuff, uh, especially in hackathons. But the thing about hackathons is that uh, you really have to build something really quickly. The products aren't that finished. Uh, And the category that we participated in was called Code for Impact. And it was all about, uh, you know, how can you use technology to make an impact in people's lives? Um, Yeah, and I think people just really like uh, the fact that 
uh, you know, because a lot of people have dyslexia mm. and most of the times it goes undiagnosed and unnoticed because, you know, you just say, hey, you're not that good in school. That's OK. You'll find, you know, a different kind of job. But um, it's a big problem. And we saw that with just a little bit of work, uh, if we can build something like this, we could actually make the lives of a lot of people much better. So I think they saw that. And uh, yeah, that's how we got started. Now we are in a lot of different verticals, but uh, we do keep true to what, you know, the idea was originally that let's make technology more accessible to these people. Mm -hmm. And how many people have used that particular browser extension then, you think? I think we had a couple of hundred users in the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, but unfortunately, because of how our focus has uh, changed to our products, which are now our main products, mm -hmm. uh, we haven't really updated that plugin since then. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, tell, tell me about the other products that you've built then. Sounds interesting. So our primary product now is Augustia, uh, which is a web accessibility plugin. And how that works is, you know, if you run, let's say, a website, then you're used to adding plugins from here and there, little JavaScript codes. Um, so how that works is you have to add one line of code in your website and it automatically makes your website super accessible. So it adds a little plugin that people can click on, which would open accessibility options. And then there you can find, you know, so many different things like a night mode to read at night, mm -hmm. a blue light filter, a dyslexia friendly mode, read aloud for people who are blind. So it would actually read out the whole web page. So it's like, you can think of it like an app store, which has a lot of different modes and people can just pick and choose. Let's say I want to increase my font size and I want a, a blind friendly mode and you can just choose that preferences and then it would make that website run the way you want to. And uh, how long did it take you to build that and how are things going? So we act, so we officially founded the company in August, mm -hmm. which is when we realized that we should start building on something like this, which is more enterprise. Uh, and um, August 2016, and um, yeah, we built it in a few months and we started doing beta's and we got a lot of feedback and we were in beta for over a year and just earlier this year in, in maybe first quarter of 2018 is when we signed up our first paying client. Mm -hmm. And what was that like when you got your first paying client? Uh, it was really interesting because our first client was not, uh, you know, how people usually have their first paying client, which is, you know, a tiny website. We came up with the business plan that we want our plugin to be uh, useful for everyone. So what we did is uh, the pricing works this way, that if you have less than 10,000 page views a month, which means you're not a big website, then it's for free. So you don't have to pay anything ever. Uh, and then for larger websites, we start charging you. So we already, uh, in our beta, we worked with, you know, maybe 10, 20 different companies and we gave them our plugin for free. And then we had our first sign up, which we thought, okay, so 10,000 is the minimum. So maybe 20, 30,000 page views per month. We can handle it. Mm -hmm. And we have a good Amazon web services infrastructure. But our first sign up actually has more than 2 million page views a month. <laughs> <laughs> so that actually taught us about scaling. So we actually gave it, uh, you know, for about a month for free to them where we really figured out the scale. Because from, you know, practically zero, we came from 10, 20 things happening on our server per second. Hmm. So we had to scale to that. We had to migrate from a MySQL base to an influx base. So we do a lot, did a lot of stuff. We learned a lot throughout the way. And yeah, now we are, now if, if a company comes which has, you know, 100 million page views a month, we can still handle that because we went through that process of learning that. Hmm. So I think that was really cool. Seems to be going well then. Um, you, you mentioned dropping out of design university, design college. Um, yeah, so I really wanted to study design because my background is as a designer and an engineer both, and I wasn't 
you know, I didn't want to do computer science in B-Tech or something like that. Uh, so yeah, I went to Ahmedabad and, um, and I was there for about, I don't know, maybe three weeks-ish, maybe a bit more maybe a bit less. I actually don't remember. And I came back and I and I started doing this full time for a year. And that year was really cool because we won uh, Startup India Rocks, which is uh, perhaps India's largest startup competition because they had over a thousand companies and we were uh, the winners. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. That was, I think, December 2016. So that was a really fun year for me. But, um, but yeah, in 2017, I thought that uh, even though this is what I want to do, I, I, I don't want to I don't know, maybe I felt like I don't want to regret not going to university at all later. So I thought maybe, you know what, maybe let me just apply to a couple of places that I like. So I applied around the world. I applied to 10 universities. I applied to, and of course I was uh, accepted everywhere and then I had to choose where to go. Mm. So um, I think I applied to California College of the Arts, one in Melbourne, uh, one in Germany, one here in the Netherlands. So I applied uh, at programs I really love. And um, yeah, then I came here. So right now I'm in Enschede. Mm-hmm. And I study at the University of Twente, which is um, which is Europe's most entrepreneurial university. So one of the reasons I chose this place is because um, I spend my time both working on Oswald and scaling throughout Europe. Most of our customers are actually now in Europe, not in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I'm able to study creative technology, which is an interdisciplinary program uh, really between design and engineering. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I go to class and I have to study things like math, physics and computer science, but also... Um, you know, user experience design and ergonomics and product design. So it's really what I was looking for in a program. And the fact that, you know, really great startups like Booking.com and Takeaway have come from this campus really has this ecosystem of uh, entrepreneurship, which I'm really happy to be in. What, what's life like in the Netherlands then? What's, what's the best bit? Um, so, so it's really different uh, because um, I think... So I, actually, one thing I learned from, I had a meeting with the ambassador of the Netherlands in India uh, at the embassy back at home. And, and, he t- and he told me something which really stuck with me, which is that because of the Netherlands geography, which is super, uh, you know, low lying flat, that's what Netherlands literally means. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really affected their culture and their society because, because of how flat it is and everyone is kind of equal. Uh, geographically, hmm. people also feel that way. So I, whenever I go to a company, I could go to a Fortune 500 company's office and just take the first name of the guy I want to meet. Hmm. Uh, or, you know, in the entire ecosystem, I could just go to a really senior investor and say, hey, Bill, how are you? Let's have coffee. Hmm. Whereas back at home, it's really a different system where people really care about things like being called sir uh, and uh, all of that. So I find that really interesting about how open people are and how how much they're willing to go out of their way to help you and uh, and that i've really seen which is why i started off with labs accelerator as a way of giving back to this community which has gave me so much so i so i felt like if we can come up with a program where startups can get access to all of these great people and resources for free then i think i should spend some of my time doing that how do you balance your entrepreneurial life with your college life, your, your, your university life then? That is perhaps the question I have to answer most often and uh, still I don't have a good answer for it because um, unfortunately if I look at my calendar right now, I usually have between two and three things happening at the same time. Uh, never one except on Sundays. So, hey. <laughs> um, so, I think... Uh, I have tried to find a balance where, because I have a system of uh, 
dividing my time in blocks and then each block represents something I want to do in that 30 minute or hour period. And then I try to just do that or that and something else as well, whatever. It's just super complicated, but I do try to make sure that um, I do both. I mean, uh, the good part about my university right now is that I don't have a lot of compulsory classes. I could just not go to some lectures, but study up at home and, and give the test and that's okay as well. But then some lectures are so interesting that I just want to be there. Mm-hmm. So I would, uh, so yeah, uh, the good, and of course the Netherlands, that means you have to bike everywhere. Uh, you don't take the bus or anything, even though we do have a good public transportation system, people just like to use their bicycles. So my office is about 15 minutes from my university. So about twice a day, I, I bike back and forth. So it's <laughs> good exercise as well. So sometimes, you know, I have a class ending at 12.30 p.m. and then I bike and I start working in my office at about one o'clock and then I bike back for a 4 p.m. class. So I kind of, that's how my day goes, yeah. Nice. Um, how, how do you motivate yourself then to do all this? Well, uh, the day that I'm, you know, every day I wake up and I'm extremely motivated because I have something I have to do, some problem I want to solve. And it's not just about, you know, doing a sales pitch for a new client. I, I keep doing a lot of different things. Like if you look at my Google Keep list of ideas I want to work on, it is so long that I, I keep scrolling and and I still have so many great things I want to do. So I think the day I lose that motivation is the day uh, I will stop, you know, spending my time the way I do. But right now I'm just super excited about everything. Mm. So how much research do you do then when you, when you come up with the idea? So we uh, did a lot of research, primarily secondary. Uh, so when, especially on the hackathon that first day, uh, because out of the 20 hours we probably spent maybe 10 hours just reading up on research papers uh, from places like the British Reflexia Association and the W3C, and we just kept going through these PDFs and trying to understand, uh, you know, why is it that, for example, some people with dyslexia say that a yellow background and black text is better legible than a white and black, even though the color contrast ratios of white and black are higher. Mm. So we do a lot of research and talk to a lot of people, especially since I've come here because I'm part of the university. I've really gotten more into the R&D aspects of it, where I can work with great researchers and and really talk to real people. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think that's been our approach. So when we started the company, we were actually called Oswald Foundation because we wanted to emphasize the fact that we're doing something for the good. Mm. Uh, but um, but late last year, we renamed to Oswald Labs to really show that R&D is what we do. We care about solving real problems. And we really think of ourselves as a, you know, as an idea factory or a think tank mm. uh, rather than a traditional enterprise. Mm. Why not just do a traditional enterprise then? Uh, because the problem is that... Uh, I mean, I, I mean, legally speaking, we are a traditional enterprise, of course, we're a registered company. But, um, but I think that really reflects our values and our priorities. That that we don't want to start a business and uh, you know maybe start focus on how do we price it so that we earn more money, but rather how what are the real grass problems we're solving? How do we go on the roads and talk to people and get their feedback? And and I think. When you think of yourself as more of a think tank, then you give yourself that leverage that even if this is not the best business decision, but it's the best consumer's problem-solving dis- decision, then we really think that that's the direction we want to look at. Uh, like if you look at our accelerator, for example, I spend maybe four or five hours per week of my personal time on it. Mm. Um, and that is completely loss-making venture <laughs> because we take no equity, we take no money, 
and we still spend a lot of our time uh, in helping these startups grow and connecting them to relevant, you know, investors or lawyers or technical consultants who can give some of their time for free to help them. Well, let's uh, talk. Let, yeah, let's talk about this accelerator then. Um, probably, yeah. the fir- probably the first question is how much money. Do you give out? (laughs) None. So how the accelerator works is that we don't give any cash and we don't take any equity. Right. And what we do is we have a remote program, which means we have startups from everywhere applying. uh, And and we work primarily online. So we have weekly Skype calls. We we really have a community here, especially in Anskadeen, back at home in Delhi. And so what we've done is we've partnered with places like co-working spaces. So if you're in a city which has one of our partners, then you can actually get an office space to work out of there for free. So we have a lot of startups doing that here. We also recently start, added one uh, back at home in Noida. Um, and so those co-working spaces are happy to give out, you know, because they're our partners, you know, let's say four tables every month for free for our startups. Mm. And then we've, so this is just an example. We've partnered with a lot of different companies who are willing to give out some of what they do for free to these startups. For example, Amazon Web Services gives $5,000 and two years of business support. And we also have companies here. Uh, for example, we've partnered with an accelerator here called Novelty, which gives out uh, free time with lawyers because lawyers in Europe are super expensive. Mm. But if you have a question like, hey, how do I make this particular part of my app GDPR compliant? Then it's good that you sit, up, sit with a lawyer and answer all of your questions. But that could be really expensive. So we've partnered with them and they're giving out uh, you know, free, let's say, three, four hours per week of legal time. So we've partnered with all of these great people who are interested in giving back to the community. And our accelerator is primarily remote, where we connect them with all of these free services and people who want to have them. But uh, how do you decide which companies get in and which don't? Uh, so we have an application process on F-Success where we ask them a bunch of questions and we have Skype calls. And um, that's it. Just like any typical traditional accelerator, we like to talk to them about what problem they're solving. Mm. And we have a kind of comprehensive form where we already have, uh, you know, metrics and, and value values that people are giving. But um, we also like to talk to people personally mm. uh, and have Skype calls with them at least two before we have a final decision. Mm. And um, yeah, and that's it. We And we, we're really diverse because if you look at, let's say, uh, we have an app called Brandy, which is a chatbot uh, on Messenger for your personal branding. Mm. So it helps you, you know, how do you improve your LinkedIn profile or something. And on the other hand, we have uh, an application from a platform for, for connecting people with cancer. So it's not just, you know, an app for timekeeping, for example, is one of our other called, I think, Timebound. Uh, and on the other hand, we have these enterprises which are building, let's say, an augmented reality app for somebody with dyslexia. Mm. Uh, so we have, and these are all, all of these four are real examples of program, of companies in a program. So I think um, I love the fact that we are so diverse uh, in terms of because we really care about uh, these companies reflecting our values. Uh, that really distinguishes us from other programs because when, because one of the problems that we had when we were first thinking about raising a round is that uh, typical investors don't care about uh, social entrepreneurship. They care about ROI. Um, and um, and I think we've really prioritized r- doing real groundwork and solving real problems mm. than, okay, ROI in 12 months, mm. you know? I think that really makes us different. So what what's most important to you then when you look at these applications? Is it the people? Is it the experience? Is it the idea? Or the problem solving, et cetera? Yeah, what, what, what's, 
speaks to you most, so, as it were? So I think it's it's a combination of uh, what problem you're solving and what team you have. Because uh, if one of those goes wrong, then the whole thing is not going to work. But if you have both of them, or even if you really have one of them really good, then we can probably help you figure out the second half. Um, so I think we have, you know, because we have basic Android apps, but we have really large scale, uh, you know, problems that are being solved, like, um, you know, business AI, uh, for ent- how do you make enterprise more AI accepting? Uh, so I think, um, yeah, I think those two factors of what problem you're solving, but also what skill set your team has or, or, you know, because team is not just about, hey, do you have a designer and an engineer and a product guy? It's really about what motivates you and why is it that you are the right person to solve this problem? Why is it that you are so incredibly passionate about that? So I think the team and the problem statement are two really key metrics that we care about if you have because you know we've had we've we've accepted companies who've had thousands of users and zero users both based on these two metrics Mm. and then what happens after they've completed the accelerator class of course well we yeah so we don't really have uh you know two month program rigorous every week we kind of you can think of it like a like an online community where all of these startups can learn from each other talk to each other um, and we have our weekly Skype calls. After a time, after a point, we stop and we say, okay, you're, you know, we can, we've done all that we could. Uh, because I think the, the main goal was that for us, for uh, us to become from Oswald Foundation to Oswald Labs and find our place in our, in our value proposition in the world took us over a year. And our goal is to help these startups reach that stage that we reached mm-hmm. in you know, less than a month. And that's the whole process. And and after that, we still uh, keep in touch with everyone, of course. Uh, and right now, it's so formal that people can just message me on Facebook and say, hey, I have this problem. Can you connect with me? Uh, you know, you're connected to this guy with LinkedIn. Can you help me with that? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that's just how it is. But I guess when we do scale, we have to come up with more uh, concrete <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, communication ways and concrete timelines. But for now, I think we're uh, really happy the way we are in keeping this as a community-based uh, problem-solving think tank where everyone can learn from each other. Do, do, you, do you think anyone could be an entrepreneur? It seems seems everyone's being, or everyone wants to be an entrepreneur these days. I think entrepreneurship is really about your, uh, you know, your priorities. You know, why do you wake up in the morning and brush your teeth and, and then decide what I'm going to do today? Mm. So, yeah, I think to a level, perhaps everyone can, but it's really about if you find something that you're passionate about and you want to solve that problem because um yeah i like to think of it as like a two-step problem plus tools approach which is that um you have a problem statement let's say you know you want to fix education you want to make classes more open and free for everyone and then you have your toolkit which is why are you the best person to solve this problem mm-hmm. so in my case i i as an engineer and a designer, I wanted to solve the same problem. And, and that was my first startup. It was an ed tech company called Class Rebels, which was building a platform to help students and teachers communicate with each other more efficiently. Mm-hmm. But then you can also solve the same problem with something like, uh, you know, Teach for Education, uh, which is uh, like Teach for America, for example, which is where students take a year or two after they've graduated from college to go to inner cities and rural places where they don't have great teachers to volunteer as teachers. So I think it's not about how you solve that problem, but it's really about what makes you the right person to solve that problem. So I think if you have that left half of your problem statement and, and the thing you're trying to solve and the right half of your toolkit and, and why you can solve that problem, 
I think then you're an entrepreneur automatically because then then nobody can stop you from that motivation every morning that, hey, you want to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I mean, if you have those two key things, I think anyone can be an entrepreneur. Uh, What would you say, in your opinion, is the best thing about being an entrepreneur, if you can share any stories? Um, I think, I don't know. I mean, for me personally, because of the industry we're in, it's about impact. I've had, you know, for example, I I got an email from a New York City-based therapist for children with dyslexia who described how she likes to use visual modifications as well. But more importantly, all of the students that she works with, all of these children, she's been using our plugin and she's had great results. And I think that uh, is something that I'm incredibly motivated by. And those kind of stories are what keep me going. And uh, so I think being an entrepreneur, it's not about... For me, it's not just about, hey, I can make my own decisions and, hey, I decide how much I get paid. But it's really about, hey, I really get to see how many people are impacted and how many people are happier because of what I've done. I think that's really motivating and I think that's really strong as a feeling. How do you deal with, how do you deal with failure then? You know, most lot of startups do fail. You know, they've released a product and no, no one's using it. We've had so many and I've had so many yeah. personally because... And I, I've just, when I was a kid, uh, one of my mentors, Shivik, who I've been actually working with on a new AI project recently, mm-hmm. uh, said something to me and he said, Girkisik, which translates to, you know, learn by falling down. And I think that has been just something which I've been so incredibly, I don't know. I mean, I've just made that kind of my, my mantra because I feel like the best thing that could happen to you is failure. I think that's even better than success because then you learn something out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, and for me personally, all of these, so many startups and so many ideas and so many side projects I've worked on uh, for, for, you know, a decade uh, have really shaped the person I am, the people I'm with, uh, the people who give me ideas and critique and, and my family and my girlfriend and all of those people have shaped me. And I think all of my failures have really made me who I am. I think, and I think what I am today, and and let's say if that's good or bad, is you know up to your discretion. But I think that has been shaped majoritarily by the mistakes I've made. Mm-hmm. So I think fa- be dealing with failure is, is is for me. I am super happy that hey, I lost in that hackathon, or I, lo- I or nobody likes this new product we've been working on. Because then we know why. And and when you talk to real people and we realize that, hey, this is not a problem we were solving or or our, or the thing that we thought impacted everyone really impacts a really tiny amount of the problem we wanted to solve, that's a big learning step. And then version two and then version three and so on can be much better. So yeah, I think I like to think of failures as like a change log of my life. And I think you need that change log to reach the version you want to reach. Mm-hmm. So in your opinion, uh, what about product market fit then? You know, how, how do you know whether to keep going or not? Well, for us, it's primarily feedback. Because of how R&D focused we are, every, I mean, we don't build anything without talking to people. Uh, for me personally, you would talk to a person and you say, hey, this is what our idea is and should we build it? And then they would either say, yeah, that's a great idea, I would use it. Or they would say, no, that's a terrible idea. But the problem is even when they say that that's a great idea and then you go back to them and say, hey, now, will you pay me to do it? Then they say, well, you know what? I changed my mind. So I think uh, market fit for us is really about talking to people and getting feedback constantly. So for each version or each evolution of your product, uh, each you know new feature or change, you go back to your users and you hear from them. So for example, our first paid client from uh, earlier this year, 
every change that we've done to Augusta, every major change. So, for example, when we added our blind-friendly read-aloud mode a couple of months ago, and now that we're working on new AI chatbot features, we go back to them and all of our other clients, of course. But my point is, it's not just about your biggest client, but it's also equally about your first client and all of them as well. So we go back to the drawing board and we go back to them and say, hey, this is what we want to work on. What do you think? And 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 afterwards we say, okay, this is what we've built and we want you to give it a shot. And I think that two-way communication, even though it might not scale uh, unless you know significant changes are made, really helps us find our right market fit. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a side project. Uh, for the past couple of months, I've been working with a Dutch company called SpeakUp, which is a big uh, VOIP uh, company, a telecommunications operator here. And um, and yeah, we've been working on a new AI chat assistant over emails for businesses. So uh, do you know X.AI? It's, it's a company which is building an uh, email assistant to schedule meetings. So you can just say, hey, set up my meeting and then the AI would send emails on your behalf and do back and forth and find a time on a calendar, stuff like that. So we've been looking into that industry and we're working on a new project, uh, which uses an AI assistant over email to do all of these great things. So, you know, setting up your meetings, following up with people. I could just say, hey, uh, follow up with me next week and ask him if the podcast has gone online. And then the AI would email you automatically and follow up with you. Uh, Or I could just say, hey, send him my bank details so he can pay me. And then she would do that. So it's like, uh, how do you save time not writing a lot of emails in a business context? Mm-hmm. So uh, I've been working with a company on that for the past few months, but I do a lot of stuff. So outside of Oswald Labs as well, I am a consultant to maybe 10 different companies uh, across Eurasia. And I also recently joined as a board of advisor uh, on uh, and at a Dutch nonprofit trying to solve adult education as a problem. How do you help people and skill people get better jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm all across the board. I do a lot of that. Yeah, so you mentioned your consultancy. What, what questions do they, do they ask then? What's the, what's the main question? So, uh, primarily, it's a combination of startup stuff and tech stuff, mm. uh, but I also do some design stuff. So, uh, yeah, I mean, any really anything because, uh, yeah, I think my value proposition is that I've failed so many times and I have the skill set of engineering, design, and entrepreneurship. So I, I typically help companies every primarily in technology. So, you know, what stack should we choose? Why should we do this? How do we scale this particular technology? Uh, you know, and, and I think most of my work was with e-commerce related companies until, until I think last year where I was consulting companies which have anything from, you know, zero to tens of thousands of dollars per day in revenue. Uh, and yeah, I think, you know, everything from how do we automate our operations? Because right now we have, you know, four guys who would print out stickers and then put them on the product and then send them to the FedEx and all of that. And how do we automate that to how do we help our customers customize t-shirts, for example? So like a lot of different verticals, but I guess where I come in is you have a problem statement and I, I guess I can help, I can loan you some of my tools and help you how to solve them. And and you and you won a lot of awards awards as well. Talk talk about that. Um, yeah, so I personally have been super excited because 2018 has been nice so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, in January, I was list, listed by the Dutch Financial Times in their annual list of 50 most innovative entrepreneurs under 35 in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. That was really cool because uh, in January, I had only been in the Netherlands for, what, four months maybe? <laughs> and, and so that was really nice. 
Uh, and then I think in March afterwards, I was in Forbes 30 Under 30 Asia in the social entrepreneurship section. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's, also, that's the big one, right? Forbes 30 yeah, Under 30. Yeah, that is really big, yeah. <laughs> that was really exciting. We were also one of the youngest on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then I was also in a next web list. So a lot of stuff, but I think, um, yeah, I, I, it's been a good year. People, I think it's not just about, hey, you were listed in that or you won that award. It's really about, uh, I think it, it opens up a lot of doors for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is me perhaps slightly unfair, but you get that value advantage because now, uh, you know, I mean, I remember the day that the list came out and the week after that, my LinkedIn uh, profile visits grew by over a thousand percent. <laughs> LinkedIn actually shows you a graph and still nothing has peaked that thousand percent jump in one week. And I think that opens a lot of opportunities and doors for you. Um, yeah, so I think it's been super great, and uh, let's see where we go from here. I think it's been exciting. I bet, I bet you're glad you dropped out of that design course now, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. That design college was when I dropped out back then, yeah. Uh, what did your friends and family think of that when you told them you were dropping out? Yeah, I mean, back then, it was... Um, so, luckily, I have been... I mean, I think most of my life has just been luck, 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 luck. But I think when you connect the dots looking backwards, you see that, hey, I was lucky at every step and that's where I reach here. But today, I don't know how my next week is going to go because of that meeting and that meeting. So, But I guess two weeks later, I would again look back and say I was lucky throughout the way. Mm. So I think I was incredibly lucky uh, because my parents were super supportive even before. Like in high school, I, I remember I should I would basically never study and I would work on these side, side projects and startups and consultancy and and I remember, I mean, I uh, until my 11th grade exams, I I was essentially failing math, physics, and chemistry. Wow. <laughs> Three out of my five subjects. And, and my school was also pretty supportive. They were like, you know, we know you're going to do it, so that's okay. Um, and I guess I wasn't that bad finally in 12th grade. Uh, it was pretty decent. And uh, when I went to school, they were excited. Hey, yeah, okay, you want to go to design school? Do it. And then when I said, okay, yeah, I don't want to do design school anymore, then I want to move back. And they said, okay, fine. Uh, so, yeah, I think my parents were incredibly supportive and um, they've heard me throughout the way. And then I said, hey, now I want to go to the Netherlands. Mm. And they said, okay, fine. So, um, I guess I'm kind of exhausting the okay fines I can get until a point. Mm. But, yeah, I think I've had an incredibly supportive ecosystem uh yeah what, what, what is it you want to do when you graduate then you, you must have a lot, lot of offers and ideas i do have a lot of offers and ideas you know it's really funny because i remember i was at a hackathon uh and uh, just because you know uh, we and i i do keep doing hackathons every few months because for me it's really i don't know like people do cleansing diets i do hackathons <laughs> because for me it's like 24 hours no disturbances all of the company work all of the consultancy work that's all muted Mm. And I just have, you know, five cans of Red Bull and I have a problem statement, which I have to solve. And I love that feeling. Uh, and, you know, I've had people just say, hey, this is really cool. We would love for you to work for us. And, uh, you know, during the hackathon, only like, hey, yeah, let's get started. And I'm like, yeah, so I think you're right. I honestly don't know what I have to do after graduating. I still have two years. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean. Uh, I honestly don't even know whether I'm going to stay in the Netherlands or mm. which part of the Netherlands do I want to relocate, relocate to Amsterdam or stay here and all of that. But I think um, Roswell Labs is going to be a really big part of it. And uh, because our goal since I've moved here has been on scaling uh, and tapping into the Euro- greater European area, uh, because now what we do is all of our support and development happens back at home where we have a great team there led by my CTO and COO. 
And we have a local team here in the Netherlands, which is primarily on sales and getting clients because, you know, people in Europe pay more for the same things. And um, yeah, that's how we're, we've been looking at it. And I think for the next two years, my goal is just going to be scaling, 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 mm-hmm. primarily in Europe. And uh, yeah, I guess the next two years is really going to shape what I do after I graduate. Mm. And uh, honestly, I have no answer for that yet. Uh, and w- what about in 20 years' time? What what would this company look like in 20 years' time then? Uh, that is a really bold kind of long-term question because uh, – so I like to think of myself as a person who wants to spend my life solving grassroots problems. And also labs is a really big part of it, and I've been I've spent – you know, two years on it already of my time. Uh, but um, I don't know if that's what I'm going to be doing 20 years later. To be honest, I'm incredibly passionate about other verticals such as education. Mm-hmm. And uh, my lifelong dream has been in a more, in, you know, really solving the education problem in India from a legislative point of view. So honestly, I don't even know whether I'll be an entrepreneur or a politician in 20 years. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a really uh, long-term goal that I have to think about. But yeah, I think... 20 years later, I should, at least if everything goes to plan, I would want to look at other verticals that I'm passionate about, like education and empowerment and and kind of try to solve grassroots problems over there as well. Um, but yeah, I think also lab for the next couple of years is is my focus. And um, yeah, let's see how it goes. You mentioned politics. Let, let's say you were Prime Minister of India. What, what was the first thing you'd do? Wow, that is a question I've never heard before. Uh, to be honest, I would be super happy with being the education minister of India. But um, I think honestly, I don't know. I don't want to really showcase my political views on a podcast. Okay. But I think the current prime minister of India is doing a pretty good job uh, solving the problems I want to solve in India. You know, everything from um, and I think it's not just about the current prime minister. For example, after I graduated from high school and before I went to design school, I actually worked at the government of Delhi. Uh, under the Department of Education, under the under the under, under Manish Sodia, who was uh, who is still the Deputy Chief Minister of Delhi, mm-hmm. and uh, we we looked at how do we you know how do we use technology to make education better in the government schools of Delhi, and we built an app uh, for you know clear communication between the government and let's say a principal, and you know if you have a problem, how do we fix it? With, and 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 the Ahmadni Party government, who is in power in Delhi right now, they did one. I mean. Perhaps one of the only things that they did really well was a really good job at education in Delhi. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think there's a lot of great stuff already happening. And if I have the opportunity of just taking it forward, I think that would already be incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I think if I were in a position of power, I would really spend a lot of time and energy into, into how do you make uh, education really educating for India? How because the only thing that's going incredibly well for us is our human resource. We have so many people, and and I think that really just and that's why even though our GDP per capita is not good, our GDP is always going to be good because we have a lot of people. And I think education is is the way we can use that to you know as as good as we can to the limit of our potential. And I think I think there's a lot of great stuff that needs to still happen. I mean, you can say, hey, Finland doesn't give students homework and they're better off. Mm. But I think that's not, it's not as easy because their problems are very different from our problems. You know, mm. when I'm in the Netherlands and I see students who are in third grade and fourth grade and they already know more about sex than a girl in India who is having her first period, mm. I think that, that really shows that the priorities are, you know, 
sex education is really important, which is not something we still have in India. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. And, and I also think that there's a lot of great work already being done. And I think I would be really happy in spending uh, my life trying to do that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Last few questions then. Um, do you have any like favorite startups or any favorite startup founders, people, people you look up to? Mm, wow. That is a super long answer. <laughs> no, so I could give a really long answer, but I think there's, there's just a lot of great stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you look at India, for example, uh, I mean, I, I, I have these conversations with people here often that, in the Netherlands, people don't use mobile payments still. Mm. Uh, we, I, I think we don't, we don't even have Apple Pay maybe, or maybe we just got it. Mm. Uh, because people use credit cards and nobody uses cash. And it's really funny because I'm on the German border and whenever I go on that side, which is, you know, every month or every other month I go to Germany for something mm. and people carry cash. I've literally been in shops where people say, hey, we don't take a card. We would only take cash. And that is very different because in the Netherlands, even... Now, even on the public transportation system, when you're buying a bus ticket, you just use your contactless credit card. And I think that's really cool. Uh, Dutch people only use, you know, plastic. But in India, we've basically had no cards ever. Nobody in India has a credit card. Most people use cash. And now we've kind of leapfrogged over this entire plastic ecosystem and jumped from a cash society to a mobile payment society. So we've actually overtook Europe in in that, that, you know, they're going to take at least five years now to move from plastic to phone, but we've already reached that. And I find that super incredible that that because of the, the R&D and the technological progress, we can really leapfrog and, and get even ahead. So I think companies like Paytm and entrepreneurs like Vijay Shekhar Sharma, who are doing, who are really taking this forward, people like Kunal Shah, I think that's, I think that's really cool that we can, we can really build on top of the stuff that's already been done by other great people, and that would move us uh, further ahead of everyone else. I think I think those kind of examples really make me happy. Have you got any books or blogs you want to recommend to our listeners? Uh, I love uh, I, I I listen to podcasts and read books a lot, mm-hmm. uh, especially since I've moved here. Since I bike very often, most of my transportation is still done with the bicycle. I just put my earphones on and I listen to an audiobook or a podcast. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I've been reading new books. I really like a book called The Checklist Manifesto, which is what I finished very recently, mm-hmm. uh, which is about uh, the power of checklists. Mm-hmm. I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of good books uh, are there. And uh, I actually have a GitHub repository called Books to Read. Okay. So if are actually interested in what books I recommend, there's a really long list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like uh, Ed Catmull's book, Creativity Inc. Mm-hmm. Ed Catmull is the founder of Pixar, and he writes about his entire story from Pixar to Disney and, and Creativity. And I think I think that's really inspiring. And, of course, we have the classics like uh, Sam Walton or, or uh, Zero to One. And I think, I think if you're an entrepreneur today, you are so lucky because you have – I think the good part about reading, you know, books related to entrepreneurship and nonfiction in general is that in, you know, f- seven, eight hours of reading, you learn from, you know, decades of experience and you don't have to make the same mistakes. And I think that's super powerful. And I think, yeah, as long as people keep listening to great podcasts like yours uh, and read, you know, great books like Sprint or, or you know, Sheryl Sandberg, I think that's really cool. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, you mentioned ha- actually you mentioned hackathons. Um, any Hackathon. tips? Any do's or don'ts? Any advice? Uh, so <laughs> there are two forms to answer this question. One is if you want to win, and one is if you want to okay. solve problem. <laughs> and they're completely different. They're like if you draw a Venn diagram, they're going to be two circles away from each other. Uh, and I've and I've been in both of those, and um, I kind of find try to find a middle ground. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, if you want to win. You should not care about your tech or your stack or or would you should you do Postgres or MongoDB. You should just build a good prototype which has a very pretty design which would impress the judges who are traditionally not very technical. Mm-hmm. And you use all the APIs of the sponsor, stuff like that. But when you're solving a problem, it gets much, much harder to answer that question because solving a real problem in 24 hours, if that was really easy, then companies would not spend decades in R&D. So I think then you really have to look at your problem statement and think about with your skill set and your team skill set, how can you best tackle this problem uh, with the support of the people who are there? So, for example, we were at a hackathon um, in the, um, recently and, and we had a problem of, you know, fixing home security uh, and uh, smart, you know, locks, stuff like that. And, and all of the partners there were like, you know, people like the Dutch police system. And um, they had a list of, for example, most wanted people or missing people. So we built an AI chatbot, which can work as a home doorbell system mm-hmm. compared to like Nest. But uh, the major breakthrough that I, the idea we was that you spend, you know, two, 300 euros on a smart system. But uh, if you go to whatever, a media mart or, a, or just an electronic store, the cheapest smartphones now cost maybe 30, 40, 50 euros. So the idea was if you could set, run that entire system on a cheap old smartphone, mount that as a doorbell. Mm-hmm. So we built an app called Wendy, which would um, use AI's face, uh, you know, deep learning based face detection models. And as people ring the doorbell, she would remember that, hey, this is your friend, and they would let her in automatically or send you a notification that, hey, a guy you don't know has come. Do you want to open it or not? But what's really cool is that because we had the support of the Dutch police system, we were able to integrate all of their data. So now when somebody rings the doorbell or as people walk by, we could actually map them to missing or wanted personnel and automatically tell the police. So I think, uh, I think yeah, as long as you stick to the problem you're solving and come up with interesting, innovative ways. I think hackathons are really a powerful way of, uh, because it's like brainstorming, but, you know, much long elongated and much more caffeinated. And I think that's a good way of solving a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Okay, last question then, uh, for people who want more information on Oswald Labs and what you do, uh, how do they connect? Um, well, you could just, Google Oswald Labs, and you would find everything. I think uh, you can visit our website, oswaldlabs.com. And if you're able to spell my surname correctly, which I doubt you would be able to, my name is Anand Chaudhary. You can again Google me or go to my personal website, anandchaudhary.com. And of course, I'm super open in terms of uh, answering emails. I actually came up with a brand new system this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you're interested in being part of our accelerator or just learning more, you could drop me a line at CEO at oswaldlabs.com. And Anand, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. You do, Neil. This yeah, is... yeah. Keep, <laughs> keep drinking the Red Bull and uh, hope, 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 hope it all got, works out for you. Okay, Neil. Thank you Cheers, so much. Buddy. Thank you. Cheers, man. Thanks to Anand for coming on the show today. Uh, thank you for listening and supporting the podcast. I'll be back next week. Uh, if you're building something exciting, please send me an email, hello at neilpatel.co. 
or you can tweet at Indian Startup SH or go to facebook.com forward slash Indian Startup Show. Let's connect. Thank you and goodbye.